0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, Today we are going to, actually, at the time of recording it's around halfway through December uh, 2020. Uh, It has been, I think, two months since I recorded an an episode. Uh, So, um, if uh, past conduct is a predictor of future behavior, it is unlikely that I am to get another episode in before the end of the year, just by virtue of how things have been, so I figured I would try and do an end-of-year episode today, so let's get to that. All right, so um, at the time of recording, I am uh, uh, almost, by this weekend, we'll be finished our uh, charity sessions for the coming year. Uh, We, in the most recent past, have uh, reached 50 episodes of our, 50 sessions of our Um, legacy of the Crystal Shard campaign that had been set up as our quarantine campaign at the start of the pandemic. Um, That's, of course, playing uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition over on the uh, Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Um, We also have, let's see here, reached 86 or 87 of our Night Below campaign. uh, And we've also reached uh, our one-year anniversary of that campaign uh, last Wednesday was our first session into the second year of that campaign so that's pretty uh that's pretty cool um that one of course is playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition as well and um yeah I mean just we're coming up on the end of the year the um I recently ran four sessions uh which actually <laughs> ends up being kind of appropriate four sessions of uh, Dungeons and Dragons fourth edition as kind of a uh a war story, a separate uh, story set elsewhere in the uh, in the world with different characters from uh, our for our Night Below campaign. Partly as a an excuse to take a different system out for a spin. Uh, I mean, partly also because I have been talking a lot or have talked a lot about uh, Fourth Edition in the past. And uh, one uh, or, or not one, three of the players either did not have um, any experience with Fourth Edition or did not have. Um, anything beyond like one or two sessions of experience with 4th edition. So it was fun to uh, create some characters and run a 4th edition four-parter for, uh, for those guys. 4th uh, edition was as much fun uh, as I remember it being. Um, it was really, really fun to write for. Uh, it was very fun to run. Uh, the combat can be pretty exciting in that. Um, but, um, you know, having... Uh, I'm now a week distant uh, from it. Um, it was great going back to 4th edition, and I think I'd like to uh, to revisit some 4th edition at some point uh, in the future as well. Um, but I don't think it's going to... I'm not sure it's going to jump up any higher on my list of old school games to uh, to run, you know, if I'm thinking seriously about uh, what I might run for um, for an ongoing game. Um what else do I, I'm trying to think if we ran anything else? We had our uh, Star Wars uh, charity session uh, over the last little bit as well, and uh, that one I ran with um, for the first time. I didn't use for I guess first thing I'll say is that this is for my buddy George, uh, who has very generously do- uh, supported the uh, Hero Save Villages campaign for the last three years. Uh, I've run this is the third in a series of uh, annual Star Wars games that uh, that we play. And this was the first time I used the Star Wars Saga Edition RPG as opposed to the Fantasy Flight uh, version of the games. And it was, it was awesome. I really... Uh, it was fun writing characters for it. It was uh, fun running it. I realized in retrospect that I kind of run all Star Wars games the same. Like to capture the kind of frenetic pacing that you'd expect for action sequences in Star Wars. Where you got players doing... Or characters doing uh, different things in uh, different scenes, you know, we had, uh, like, three different... at least two, maybe three different uh, uh, groups of characters in in the final kind of, you know, third act uh, action sequence for, for the one-shot, and it ended up being us skipping back and forth between a bunch of different characters doing a bunch of different things in different places. And uh, that's how I've... I, I'm not sure I've done that in um, our other... Uh, star like not not in this in this series of things but when I ran Star Wars fantasy flight back in the day that's that's absolutely how I would run it and um, it was it's a lot of fun uh, I think to uh, to run it that way and I think Saga does a better addition of keeping things going if you're if you've got characters split up over a bunch of different uh, you know bunch of different uh, regions or different areas and you have to cut back and forth between them the faster you're able to resolve the mechanical part of the character's scene, um, the f- the better the momentum is. You know, uh, for the, the faster you get through that, the uh, faster that some other character is able to get back to, uh, you know, to them having time in the spotlight. And uh, so I think it, it did a really good job for that. I think that with with a lot of us too, you know, spending a year playing ad and uh, we we're all sort of tuned to uh, what to expect from D20 based games. And I think that the Saga Edition does uh, is the, does the best job of uh, tweaking that uh, system or that edition to make for a really good, um, yeah, I don't know, really good gameplay or a really good, uh, um, a really good, um, I don't know, like st- make it feel like Star Wars, like the guys are able to blast through minor characters like they're nothing, like they should be. Um, the dogfighting was pretty fun. Uh, it was good. It was just, I mean, it, it was just a really, really good game. I, I remember enjoying it. Uh, the system back in the day. Um, I at the time we were quite heavily into fourth edition, so I ran it poorly because I, I just I overwhelmed the guys um, back in the day with uh, adversaries. But uh, this time it was great, and I would uh, I would definitely um, you know I would definitely use that. I think as my preferred system for getting back to uh, some Star Wars gaming. Um, let's see here. What else is... Uh, I mean, the in terms of going forward, uh, well, I'm, I guess here's a fun thing is I, I made a, a, an update to our house rules for AD&D, and I haven't done that since June. So that, that's pretty cool. Uh, I was happy to... And not because there was anything fundamentally uh, wrong with how the game was going uh, this was more just like, hey, let's try some things, and then we'll see how they work for the game, um, and yeah, I mean, so like, in, in terms of the state of play, things are really good, you know, I mean, like the, um, the, the ongoing campaigns that we have, our Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game, our Legacy of the Crystal Shard game, and our, um, Night Below campaign, uh, ha- have all been going really, really well, the, uh, we had, uh, the 4th edition game was a lot of fun too, you know, I I don't want it to sound like I'm not, uh, uh, that it was not a terrific game, it's just when you're thinking of, you know, if if I even make a list mentally of the Dungeons & Dragons style games that I really enjoy running, um, it already becomes a pretty, you know, pretty crowded uh, bench, like if I put on the D and D games that, uh, if you know, D games that I think I would have a lot of fun running for different reasons. Uh, Advanced Dungeons of Dragons Second Edition uh, is obviously one of those, and I think that the longer we play in that game, the more I'm, I'm not recognizing because I, I recognize this fairly early on, but I'm, I'm convinced that it is—it's so good, you know, for uh, for long-term play. You know, the uh, the for the, t- for the style of campaign. That we've been uh, having for both Night Below and for Legacy of the Crystal Shard. It's just it is the perfect game in the sense that the it gives you tons of time at each level to really you know occupy that space. You're not the 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 level component or the leveling part of the uh, of the game is not so it's not as present. I don't think because the leveling up actually interferes. Uh, with the flow of game, um, and by interferes I mean like it changes in uh, in many cases changes the capabilities of what your character uh, can do. This is more so for spellcasters than than others, but uh, it's still it's, it's an issue. Uh, and for fighters actually as well, when you get your second attack per round, that definitely uh, you know changes the uh, the dynamic. Um, but the gradual advancement of the characters, the the fact that the um, the mechanics, the the type of game you're playing changes so gradually over the course of the uh, over the course of the campaign that it doesn't. Uh, for me, it, I, I'm not feeling any of the uh, of the normal kind of um, it's not urgency. Uh, I think like when I usually run f- uh, D twenty based games or at least level based games. I, I, I often find myself falling into a trap where I do want to reward the players you know and allow them to uh, uh, to advance the characters but then I swiftly find that the characters are transforming into um, the, the, the capabilities that they're, they're gaining are are not what I had initially in mind when we started running the campaign you know the, the change is just too quick uh, so we don't really get a chance to Uh, the progress through the story becomes more a measure of what new cool shit they get to do as opposed to the things that are happening in the game and I feel like that's much more the case in in our AD&D games where the characters are measuring their successes and whatnot against what has happened in the campaign, the allies they've made, the enemies they've defeated, the things they've discovered the plans they've made, like those are the things uh, that are the the measures of success, and leveling is just a corollary. It's a it's a side effect of going through that story, you know. Um, and that is uh, that's not to say that the characters don't get to make interesting decisions for the characters at uh, as they level up, because I think that's that's kind of a at least of the version of AD and D second we're playing with the proficiencies and, and so forth. Uh, there definitely is uh, decisions that the players get to make that will. Make their characters different from comparable characters with the same race and class combo, but um, it is uh, yeah, it's just it, it is a really it's really neat. Like it, I think it has a nice blend of the kind of you know um, low key mechanics, uh, at least character generation mechanics that you get in a game like Call of Cthulhu or RuneQuest, where the advancement component takes care of itself. You know, you use skills, you get better at them in those games. In this case, you just you play the game, you play through, you try and be a hero, you know, and you will gain um, you'll gain power over uh, over time, and um, it incentivizes certain kinds of activities, defeating adversaries, you know, um, ch- achieving uh, you know, getting loot. That stuff all gains you benefits. I use the optional uh, XP and uh, or gold and uh, magic items for for XP in both games. Um, but it uh yeah, it just it, it really I really love how it just lets the you know, it, it's just not something I'm thinking about. I'm I'm running a level based game without really focusing too much on the level part of it. I'm just focusing on making an interesting uh, an interesting world that responds to the actions of the players. So A D and D obviously, I mean that's that's I I love love that game. That would be on my on my bench for uh D and D style games. I'd definitely put Pathfinder two on there as well too. I'm Currently, um, two sessions into uh, a campaign with my son on our uh, father and son game nights, we're playing this as I'm playing through the uh, first module for the Strange Aeons adventure path because uh, I, I really wanted to run something that was a little more like mystery and horror. Which probably wouldn't surprise anybody who knows me that I'm leaning into the horror elements of a of a game um, and. Uh, it's uh, it's going great. I mean, like we—he's got one NPC following him, and I'm kind of scaling down the threats uh, that are in that uh, in that game, so that I don't just steamroll them. And the game uh, Pathfinder 2 allows you to do that. It's got many of the, you know, all, all, although it's achieved in a different way mechanically, it's got many of the same mechanics or elements that I, I like uh, for designing for Fourth Edition, the cinematic elements uh, where um, to make you know, player characters feel more badass, I just scale them down, I scale the adversaries down, make them fight uh, less powerful things and they'll feel like real badasses. And I guess that's one thing I'll I'll mention about 4th as well too. One of the most interesting things that uh, the players uh, mentioned after 4th edition, they were all playing first level characters. All of them said, I can't believe these are first level characters. This was uh, like how much stuff they could do and how in-depth the combat was, like... I think that 4th edition and Pathfinder 2 as well to uh, to a degree, um, they both do such a good job of letting you experience the full, and I don't mean the full breadth of the powers your characters are going to have, but the full depth of gameplay, you know, where there's going to be uh, lesser adversaries that are more like minions, there's going to be more powerful adversaries, you can have interesting boss fights, like all that stuff is uh, completely possible in both 4th edition and, and Pathfinder 2, right from the get-go, and I'm, I'm leaning into some more of those um, cinematic elements in our uh, Strange Aeons game. And it's it's uh, not only is it just a shit ton of fun to enjoy uh, a and share a, a game I really love with uh, with uh, someone I really love. Um, it's also I finally get a chance to use all these crazy accessories that I've been picking up for Pathfinder 2. So, like, the spell cards and the um, action cards from the beginner set and the monster cards and the tokens and the critical hits and the critical fumble thing. So, uh, cards. So, there's just a a ton of great stuff. Some tiles. I I love it. It's just, it's so much fun and my son is is seeming to have just a shit ton of fun with it. He is playing, for those who may be uh, interested, he is playing a uh, wizard Uh, First-level wizard, and his uh, ally is a first-level fighter, uh, a dwarf named Ruggan. And uh, Ruggen is a character that I have a long and storied history with. Keen uh, readers or old listeners uh, may remember that there was a dwarf named Ruggan in the um, uh, Red Box set that was uh, referenced. And uh, my cousin, when I my, my cousin was my first, no, not my first, but like my most persisting dungeon master, he ran um, the uh, dungeon, uh, basic, uh, D&D basic for me years ago with my character, Victory, Victor Dimitri Lazarius. And he, um, my character was, uh, always had as his adversary, not his adversary, as his uh, stalwart ally was a dwarf named Ruggan. I had no idea where he got the name from until years later, and I, and I was revisiting the uh, red box set, and I was like, holy shit, is this where you got it from? <laughs> he was like, yep why reinvent the wheel when uh, you got a perfectly good dwarven name so in carrying on that legacy I've got a, an NPC uh, to adventure with my son uh, you know along with uh, and actually it's it's he's not Dimitri but he's named his character Alexandra uh, or Alexander uh, so he's got kind of a like Slavic style name uh, as well uh, as uh, as my character did so it's pretty fun Um and that game is, is actually functioning quite well uh, as a solo game too. One thing I, I do like uh, about um, PF2 over uh, D&D 4 was the um, the extra uh, skills. I think next time I run uh, D&D 4th, I will definitely let characters take more skills. Because um, it doesn't make the characters overpowered. Uh, it just, if you're going to make use of uh, skill challenges, the, the neat um, kind of um, gamifying mechanic that uh fourth edition introduced that allows you to um add uh, interesting game elements to uh to your um what he calls to uh non uh, combat scenes. Um I uh it, it allows more characters to participate more often. Uh so or what I might do is steal an idea from oh boy oh boy what's the game called from uh 13th Age and just uh uh, instead, have a uh, a thing where the characters will also be able to add a background, and whenever that background would come in play, they get to add effectively what would be the skilled uh, modifier to it, which I think is plus five. I can't remember. I might be confusing that with Star Wars Saga, but in any event, um, so that was on there too. DD fourth. I it's a dare. It's a very different kind of game, uh, but boy, oh boy, did I have a lot of fun uh, with that. Like the the. And not only did I have a lot of fun, it, it really did seem like the characters or the play characters, the players, had a lot of fun with their characters as well too. And, and they made just terrific use of their tactical abilities too. Like the guys really, uh, fun, oh, uh, really fell into um, a great rhythm of figuring out how to work together uh, for the uh, you know for the purpose of the uh, of the adventure or for the purpose of the combats. They unsurprisingly were ma- uh, you know just terrific with, uh, role-playing their, uh, you know, the characters during the uh, skill challenge component of the, um, of the game, and, um, yeah, it just, it, man, it, it was, the fourth edition one was really, really good, and I think it speaks a lot to, uh, someone that one of the players had commented that it's, you know, a good par- uh, part of that is, uh, the, the players like the uh, the people we play with and I, I definitely agree that you need to have the correct group to uh, you know to be playing with uh, for for that uh, if people are not willing to embrace more of the narrative stuff especially for skill challenges it can make it just dull as dishwater because you're just rolling dice you're just having a skill check skill check skill check and I really love how much the characters or the players embraced the um, the you know the narrative component of that game, so, um, so 4th, 4th edition definitely sits in the bench with AD and D2nd, Pathfinder 2, uh, as well. Now, I think I've got some others I'll add to that too. Okay, so other, other things that, uh, I have, uh, thoroughly enjoyed running over the last little while, uh, and I think would like to, uh, get back to the table uh, are, of course, um, the Pathfinder 1st Edition is still, it's a game that I'd never, i am not run extensively, and I think that it's only recently I've realized that the, I think that the reason, and I don't want to speak for, for other, um, for people who are real hardcore fans of that edition, but I think I, that one of the ways that i Have uh, calibrated my my understanding for enjoying that game is that the in the same way that I enjoy AD&D Second Edition, and for seeing how it happens, you know, seeing the random encounters and seeing how those systems kind of play out at the table, the randomness of that stuff plays out at the table. In a similar way, the whole uh, one of the attractions I can imagine with Pathfinder One is seeing how all those elaborate. Mechanics work in in play. You know, um, recently I ran a uh, well, I mean, relatively recently within the last few months, a um, a one uh, one shot session for uh, my buddy John and my buddy Arlen. And John is uh, is a hardcore uh, PF one fan and and expert uh, as well. And the it was it was really interesting running with him because he helped me understand how certain of the mechanics. Should be playing out uh, like you know or Orc ferocity and things like that and it really made me appreciate some of the genius things that um that Pathfinder one does now I, just like any other version of uh of d and d i mean it, it that isn 't to say that Pathfinder one is the game I would use for everything, but I really like the variety of characters you can make for it i like the i i really do enjoy how um how crunchy uh, t- combat feels at uh, at low levels, um, I don't know about high-level play uh, for Pathfinder, but to be honest, I don't know about high-level play for most of versions of D&D, I, I just don't think, if I want to play a game that is really like to that scale of, you know, super effectively, superpower type characters, I'd probably be more inclined to run, you know, a, a different type of game, something that is more geared towards that, but I mean, I say that now, maybe I'm, I'll be feeling wrong or feeling differently when um, our AD&D 2nd characters reach that um, you know, reach a level uh, organically where they're uh, able to access some of those really powerful abilities powerful spells, things like that they have uh, even more powerful uh, allies as well too, like the Earth Elemental that um, kind of accompanies them on their current adventures so it's um, um, yeah, Pathfinder 1 is definitely something I put on the bench there as well, and I would fifth edition as well. Fifth edition is so I I, uh, I ran for fifth edition, and I loved fifth edition from the from the you know first time it came out. Uh, I played or ran, I should say, some uh, D and next. I didn't really participate in the playtest all that much because it didn't. Um, actually I don't even know why. It might have been because I didn't have an ongoing game at that point. But the thing with fifth is uh, 4... Uh, a cinematic style of play. I don't think there is a better... For a strictly cinematic and low-mechanical, I should say, and a low-mechanics version of, um, of D&D, I think 5e does a terrific job. Um, I really, really enjoyed both of the Eberron uh, sessions that we, uh, uh, we played in... Uh, I think it was in September, maybe? I don't know. This is the year 2020, man. It's just a complete fucking blur... But uh, I, I didn't definitely. I think it, it, like I've said a couple of times on the podcast, uh, or at least on um, on the channel, uh, fifth edition does a better version of uh, Eberron than any other edition I've run. I think it just it is perfectly suited for that streamlined, smooth, kind of easily improvised uh, style of play. Characters get lots of interesting abilities, even. Like, third level to fifth level play in fifth edition is really, really cool. Um, I don't think that first is very good. I mean, there's not a lot of games where first level is really super. The thing I always find, I I feel when I make characters for um, fifth edition, though, is that I feel like I wish they had more skills, uh, and I feel like I wish that um, I could take a feat you know my my uh, house rule is that i always give uh, characters a feat at first level as well too uh, because it just it's an interesting way to mechanically different, differentiate your uh, your characters or you know give them like a little bit of magic or give them a little bit of something else like it's just a neat way of of adding that little spice to your character so uh i, I would uh, whenever i run 5th edition again i would definitely do that my i talk, I talked to my um my buddies on the channel about that, or my friends on the channel, I should say about that, and like the for running fifth edition, my continued uh, challenge with it is how to level characters up. You know, I I, uh, I feel like it because it is so. Um, you know, characters are, are real action heroes in it; they feel a lot more durable than, than the vulnerable characters in um, in other games or in other versions of D um, and then that's not to say, like, like I've said about um, you know every other edition of D and D. I mean, I'm the DM; I can make things as tough as I want. Um, uh, but I think that the in the same way that like fourth edition characters and Pathfinder two characters are a little bit more durable right at the at the outset, they have a little more uh, you know there's a little more forgiveness in terms of uh, you know uh, employing suboptimal tactics in uh, in combat. If you employ suboptimal tactics in combat in AD&D 2E at low level, um, you're going to be rolling up a new character, probably, because you, you just don't have a lot of... Uh, there's not a lot of forgiveness in the tiny bucket of hit points that you start with. Whereas in 4th um, edition and in 5th uh, edition... Uh, or 4th f- edition, 5th edition... In mean, 5th edition, you don't have more hit points. You just You do have access to healing between encounters a lot more easily in that than without magic. Than you do in some of the others. And fourth edition, fourth edition is all about the, uh, you know, kind of hit point attrition in, uh, if it's just a strict combat encounter, that's what that's, that system's all about. That's part of the fun of it is, it's that up and down of characters getting banged down and getting healed up and banged down again, you know. It's, uh, yeah, really, um, a really, really fun element of that. Um, but I feel like uh, because it's so um, story, uh, it, it features or it shines, I should say, yeah, so well as a cinematic-style game and more as a, you know, linking stuff to story and, and things like that. And by that I mean, like, the because the system is so light on its feet and you're not fiddling with your characters as you're going up, like, even uh, um, e- at certainly equal to, uh, if not... No, it's less than. It's, there's I think there's less things you do to tweak your character in... Um, Oh, maybe they're equal. Between AD&D 2nd and uh, and 5th edition, they're about... It's about equal, I think, maybe the n- the number of things you get to decide about your character. You know, you don't get to make um, like subclass decisions in AD&D 2nd the way you do in 5th. Uh, and you don't get backgrounds the way in 2nd uh, edition the way you do in 5th. Uh, but you do get proficiencies in 2nd edition. You get kits if you're playing with kits in 2nd uh, edition, and um, specializations if you're playing with uh, with that in 2nd uh, in edition as well too. So I think there's things that, that change about the character as you go up, but it's relatively minuscule. Uh, but I feel like there is... I'm less dissatisfied with the amount of proficiencies I get to start with when I compare the version of ADD 2nd that I run uh, as compared to 5th edition. Um... But you know, there's many. I think the fairness of fifth edition is definitely an appeal. You know, it's I, I still. Uh, it's been a number of months since we um, we uh, talked about this, but I mean, my my buddy um, uh, um, Colin uh, Spike Pit, A.K.A. Spike Pit, who had uh, you know two or three sessions where he kept getting hit with in our Ash game, where he kept getting hit with uh, things that would um, uh, that would take his character out of the action, it would either hold him, a whole person, or something like that, or or days, he, uh, you know, he got a, um, uh, he's not wrong that, like, it, the unfairness of losing your character for such a long period of time is, is kind of shitty, you know, especially if you're only playing every couple of weeks, too, and you're not able to do anything with your character, and the way that 5th edition addresses that uh, is, it is much more playable, It's not quite as, um, not neutered, but not quite as, uh, you know, um, as reduced as it is in 4th edition. 4th edition with the, uh, you know, but um, I think both of them, I think it addresses a real um, potential issue, right? Of uh, Players cannot rely on, you know, one-button combos, effectively, to take enemies out, like uh, Sleep at low level. With the types of adversaries that they're facing, can be devastating. Uh, same thing with uh, charm person. Same thing with uh, um, hold person. Once you get that, yeah, you know those are just uh, in, in a d d second they are devastating and similar old school games. Devastating spells if they if they go off. And for some of them like sleep, you don't get a saving throw either. But with um, web, also it's another one that's just poof brutal. If you got especially if you've got a low strength, good luck. Hope your allies are able to save you. Um, but I mean, like I say, it cuts both ways too. So, like the um, the fact that uh, the players cannot do that, uh, or rather, the um, the players cannot be subject to it. It also means they can't do it. So, I think it's you know it's cool that um, it's cool that fifth edition. And fourth edition, and Pathfinder Two as well too. It it also um, the persisting, you know, debilitating effects are a lot less. Um, they, they are a lot less punishing in those newer editions than they are in the older ones. And I think that um, now a bunch of PF One has that as well too. I just don't I don't remember offhand. But I think the thing that is the upside to that is you can, as a DM, I suppose, make more liberal use of those kinds of mechanics without worrying about, like, well, shit, they failed the save versus hold spell and they're not high enough level or they didn't prepare to spell magic. So I guess that character's out of the fight for now. You know? um, And, I mean, that's just for for a game where you are putting your thumb on the scale and uh, designing specific types of tactical encounters as opposed to the kind of emergent... Uh, random encounter style, you know, encounters that you get more naturalistic stuff that you get in AD&D second, uh, or at least that I get in the games that I run. Um, I think that uh, I think that the, those systems, those more modern systems, do a much better job. You know, if if I was running AD&D second with my son, and uh, you know, one of the uh, they decide they I put them up against an adversary uh, who has the ability to cast sleep. Well. He better have, uh, and that, I mean, it's an adversary that's like a one to four, even a first level uh, adversary mage, one to fourth, uh, four hit points plus con modifier. Um, that's not a lot of hit points, so all the, this, you know, his character could very well take that other one down quite easily. But if he loses initiative, and the other guy is able to get a sleep spell off. Good night. That's it. Whereas there, I think there is more of a fighting chance and more fairness. In this, and I mean, that suits that particular campaign because we are playing a story based or plot driven, you know, uh, campaign, uh, in that one, as opposed to our, um, you know, like Night Below or, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, uh Legacy of the Crystal Shard? Um, so yeah, so fifth, I mean, I, I like that a lot for that. I like that fifth is also, uh, because it shares so many elements with AD&D Second, um, a lot of the sensibilities for what you know I'd be designing for encounters and so forth are very similar in uh, in fifth edition. Or although in fifth edition, some of the monsters definitely are tougher. Uh, like goblins, I think have like ten hit points uh, on average in um, in uh, fifth edition, which is more than most characters. Let me think here. Yeah, because you got at first level, you got very few ways to boost your damage apart from your stats. So just it's not the um, you don't get the kind of stormtrooper effect you get with goblins in uh, old school games where they've got such minimal hit points. Um, but it's not a fault. I mean, that's just a, a nature of the of the game. The thing that I find, um, I guess one thing I, I should mention as well is I I have picked up the. Uh, Wilderness Survival Guide, not Wilderness Survival Guide, the Wilderness uh, Survival Kit, uh, or maybe Adventure Kit, I can't remember what it's called, Wilderness Something Kit for 5th Edition. And it's really good. I really like it. Uh, It's got uh, one of the design elements from 5th Edition that I like a great deal is uh, the fatigue rules. And uh, that does a really good job of incorporating those in interesting ways and introducing uh, some new sub mechanics for how to model uh, voyages or um, um, trips, you know, short scale trips that, that uh, trips that are going on a day by day basis or long term trips that are going on a week by week basis and chases. So, I mean, the DM's screen for the fifth edition Wilderness book is really just a, uh, you know, uh, it's a consolidation of many of the existing rules, but I love. It's got all the things on it that I would want from a wilderness survival or running for running a wilderness game, like you know encounter distances and the spot rules for fatigue, for overland travel, for survival, for things like that. So it, it's got uh, for hunting. Uh, so it's got all that stuff in there. I can't remember if it gives more comprehensive rules for hunting or not, but it definitely introduces one of the things that's that's in there is the idea of using, um, like just, uh, sing- singular kind of like rations, you know, a daily day of rations for, um, for tracking the thing rather than tracking specifically like your, you know, you got rabbit, you got meat, you know, uh, reindeer meat, you got whatever. I don't know why I said reindeer. Clearly it's Christmas. That's on my mind. Um, but, uh, it, um, it does a great way of, of, uh, or the, the kit has a handout in it that it gives you a little check mark like a dry erase check mark thing for tracking uh, rations and I mean I, I abstract rations in my AD&D game we, we just sort of say you've got you know X amount of days you know this is one adult's or one medium sized creature's uh, meals for for one day and that's it and um, yeah it's it's cool I, I, if I was playing uh, either of my AD&D games in person I'd make use of that Um what else? The it's just a really good. I mean, I can't remember the price point of it, so I, I can't speak to whether it's good value for dollar. But for myself, like it's it's something that I really, um, I would be interested in seeing those rules in play. Uh, I don't think I would run a fifth edition wilderness survival game though, only because I know that AD&D does such a great job of that. I, I really really love. the the way that AD&D second plays out over a long term of a campaign, like it's just it's I'm completely satisfied. I've obviously added a lot of house rules to it, but I love the way that that game uh, plays out over a long term of or a long uh, sequence a long series of of play, just letting the system you know the random encounters, the use of uh, hunting rules and finding water rules and things like that, using all that stuff to just let Discover, I guess, you know what um, what happens over the course of the long-term campaign. What it gives is an interesting, in the same way that a lot of story games talk about, you play to see what happens. It it gives it that kind of um, it's that kind of oracular experience that that uh, I do enjoy about those games, but in the context of an old-school, you know, fantasy game and we're not necessarily playing through, like, or at least we're not consciously playing through a specific story of my crafting. It's this really interesting thing that we're all, to one degree or another, um, discovering over the course of the, the campaign. So I wouldn't do that. And also I think that because 5th edition does such a great job of that, you know, loose mechanics, um, kind of uh, more powerful, pulpy, cinematic type of play, I'd sooner set a 5th edition game in a setting like the World of Warcraft. Like, I, I loved our one-shot that we played for uh, for that. We, we That was a, a ton of fun. Those rules for um, running World of Warcraft or running a 5th edition version of the World of Warcraft were fucking great. And I think the players enjoyed themselves, too. Um, and Or I'd run it in Eberron, you know? Or I'd run it in... Um, what do you call it in um, the uh, thing, uh, Ravnica? The Ravnica I think is a really interesting setting. It, it, I can see it having many of the elements that attracted me to uh, a setting like Planescape, you know, before because it's got lots of different factions and whatnot. But definitely is its own thing, and uh, and I, I um, yeah, I, I could definitely see it being that, um, and maybe even um, I've got. Uh, well, Actually, you know, the uh, I'm running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, uh, kind of, with my, uh, what do you call it, with my uh, AD&D second uh, campaign, my Legacy of the Crystal Shard game. But, I I mean, I think it's a really, really good adventure, and uh, it might be fun to try using it as intended, especially with the, uh, the Platinum Edition box set uh, with 5th uh, Edition, uh, as would... Um, you know, Curse of Strahd, uh, uh, and I—the I, reason I would—I would say maybe those instead of, um, like, say, Pathfinder Two, which is is occupies kind of a very similar space for me to what um, D&D Fifth would be. It's a you know, it's a more modern version of D&D. Um, but it, I guess you know the reason I, I mentioned all these things on, on the the as being part of my you know, my bench, uh, as much as I do love running other games as well, too, I love a, a wide variety of RPGs, it's been really, really fun, like, I love almost every version of, of d d you know, uh, even, like, um, clones like Ash are terrific games, too, but every version of, of uh, Dungeons & Dragons that I've run, I've had a, just a shit ton of fun with, you know, they're all good, and I, I um, I get the, um, you know the that everyone's going to have their own preference for what's their what their favorite version is, um, but just for the reasons that I've talked about in this episode, you know, I just love Dungeons and Dragons. I, I just love every version of it. It's uh, I there are definitely like for certain types of stories, there's there's definitely things that I would prefer one over the other, and there's things that I like about certain of them that others don't do. You know, uh, but it's just a great. It's just a great game. All the iterations of it, um, you know, each has their own thing to add to the, uh, I think, the, the overall conversation about it or the, the as something different to give a little of a bit of a different flavor. Revisiting 4th edition has really reinforced that for me, that like, yeah, there's definitely things that 4th edition does that 4th uh, um, that, that edition makes it more challenging to do or just to, to, uh, to play up. Than you can get in um, in other versions of the game, but that's not a bad thing. It just means that it has a distinctive voice of what it does and what it's good at, you know, or what it's uh, best suited towards. And that's the same for these other games too. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just uh, I think that uh, it's fun. Uh, you know, definitely like I I really want to um, uh, to run. Um, maybe in the next segment I'll talk about, uh, uh, other games as well too. I definitely want to run more games, you know, in the, um, in the, or in the next little bit. I, I tend to run a lot of games throughout the year anyway, or a lot of different varieties of games, but, um, part of the struggle of, uh, you know, of, uh, running so many games is that, um, the, the real, ch- I mean, it's a good problem to have, but the challenge of just D&D offers so many great varieties uh, that can make for really, really, really good games. You know, um, any of those games uh, that I mentioned, any of those ones on my bench, I could run a really fun and satisfying campaign. You know, and e- even if just thinking of the different uh, games or uh, versions of D&D that I mentioned, uh, like the the types of experiences you could have with each of those is just so great and to think that this is only like that's one game, one you know uh, game that we've seen iterated over the course of the lifespan of the of the um, of the game, trying different things, deciding to you know correct or steer away from design decisions that were made in the previous ones, and so forth, which is really kind of what that edition history is, right? You know. Third edition is attack away from second and fourth is attack away from third and fifth is attack away from fourth, you know, but there's great lessons from all of those. And I think there's something valuable in, in actually running uh, the different versions as well too, because there's always, if you're open to stealing ideas um, or even just steal, like learning the lessons that can be gained from the contrast of the different editions. You know, um, like I said, before I ran 4th edition recently, I said like, you know, I can't imagine running 4th as opposed to, if I was going to run something, uh, I think Pathfinder 2nd would scratch the itch that 4th edition would. But having run 4th edition, again now, I don't agree with that. 4th edition is, is definitely its own animal. And it's, with both, and that comes with the strengths and weaknesses that come with the design elements in that particular version of the game. But, Boy, was it a lot of fun, you know? It's just Dungeons and Dragons uh, throughout the uh, the lifespan of the game um, for all the different editions. I, th- I I find things that I genuinely love, not just like like love about every version of that uh, that game. So anyway, I guess this is my end of year nostalgic, uh, longingly looking back over the terrific uh, experiences that. Uh, D&D and has offered uh, me and my friends as, uh, as we play through so let's end this segment here and then we'll talk about other games next I suppose before we go on to uh, other games I should spare a thought for the additions that I don't really get a chance to get to the table and those are of course uh, Basic uh, or BX I'm going to include Beck, me, and BX BX's 1 um, and uh, AD&D 1 and, um, the, uh, third edition, three, third, 3.5. Uh, I, so I, I think there are definitely things that I like about, uh, each of those as well too. Uh, basic or me at least was, uh, the go-to version of d d that we, well, we alternated quite a bit between that and AD&D 2nd when we were kids. Um, I've gone back and looked at it. The thing I find, um, with uh, Back Me at least, is I don't find that there is enough, and this is true of um, AD&D 1 too, is I, I like there to be a little bit more um, texture, I guess, to the characters, uh, and that's what I get, why I feel with the kits and the proficiencies from AD&D 2nd, uh, and I don't get those from those editions, so that's why I, I generally don't run those, or the, um, uh, the what do you call it, the uh, uh, retro clones that are, uh, based on those. Um, there's like, um, what do you call it? Uh, Labyrinth Lord and, uh, Basic Fantasy and, um, OSE. I just, uh, they're not, uh, uh, I think they do a terrific job for what they're shooting for. It's just that from my own personal, uh, tastes, uh, I would prefer to there to be a little bit more to the characters, uh, a little more things I get to dick around with, I guess, with the characters. Um, and uh, that's probably, you know what, uh, the, um, I've had a lot of folks asking about uh, Castles and Crusaders, uh, and that's probably the reason I don't run that as well, or I've never really gravitated, is because they do a neat job of, um, the, they've got this mechanic called the Siege mechanic, and it um, it basically sets numbers based partly on your level, partly on the level of the thing you're trying to deal with and then whether it is a prime requisite or a non-prime requisite. Uh, and it's, it looks interesting, but I just, um, I, uh, I want, it doesn't offer me the specific granularity with character creation that I kind of want from, uh, uh, from my, uh, AD&D games. So, um, just that, you know, to your own to flavors. Um, and then for third and 3.5, I just, I, I have not, done an extensive, uh, com- uh, comparison, but I just feel like Pathfinder one would give me the experience I would want out of a third or 3.5. And like, I, 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 I like a lot of the stuff that's added in, uh, in the course of the lifespan of uh, Pathfinder one, uh, like the classes from the advanced class, um, handbook manual. I can't remember what it's called guide handbook. I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is. There's a one that that adds a bunch of new... There's two different books that they've had that uh, add a a substantial amount of new classes, the Advanced uh, Player's Guide and the Advanced Class Guide. Uh, And uh, I I like those a great deal. And uh, I feel like the stuff that was added to Pathfinder over the course of its lifespan, I'd be much more satisfied with including all of that stuff and drawing on all that stuff. Um, like the, um, I like the gunslinger a great deal. I like the magus, a great deal. I like the, uh, occult adventures stuff, a great deal. It's very, very cool, different way of, of modeling magic. And, um, I feel like to run third edition or 3.5, I would be intentionally, um, keeping out a bunch of that stuff. You know, it's a, it's like consciously trying to capture, um, a snapshot of, uh, an edi- the time for an edition. And like, I don't... V- it's not really what I'm interested in, in doing with, with my, uh, when I run games is trying to, you know, uh, capture the often, you know, authentic version of that, uh, game. What I want to do is, um, uh, you know, I want to use the, those games to run the best, uh, session I can, the most fun one I can for, for my players. And I feel like, the innovations that were introduced with Pathfinder one, and then the books that came out from that, um, that that will give me a more satisfying for me personally, more satisfying play experience than using, you know, third or th- 3.5 just for the sake of using them. So, but that's not to say, I mean, like second edition is so close to first edition AD&D that it really, you know, uh, I think it's, it's fair to put those two in the same, genus, I guess, or phylum or whatever the hell the, I'm not a biologist. So whatever the uh, classification would be, those are very, very, very similar. Same thing with um, 3rd, 3.5 and Pathfinder. I think those are all can be part, grouped together as part of the same family. Um, It would be interesting to get uh, first age. And actually it's interesting when I ran fourth edition recently, I had people sharing uh, the names of some other group. I didn't realize there was a, like, you know, uh, revival of 4th edition with some other games. I knew that um, 13th Age was a, uh, a version of that, and there's a game, gosh, that I can't remember the name of right now that I, uh, I picked up from uh, Modiphius that has a... Um, it's only got a, a one manual out for it thus far, just the, the core rulebook, but it, it does the same type of thing that 4th uh, edition does, uh, where it's got uh, powers and stuff like that, and your class dictates a lot of stuff, and and there's it's a very um, uh, structured kind of combat. Like tactical combat is is quite uh, regimented in that edition. Um, and but in any event, I, I didn't. So Thirteenth Age, I was aware of this other game, which name I can't remember right now. Uh, I was aware of. I, I was not aware that there were these other games, and that it's pretty interesting. Like I downloaded the free versions of those uh, PDFs. Um, and I can't remember the names of those either. I I should try and find those, Uh, but they're they're like, they're interesting and I like the innovations, but I feel like, um, if I was gonna, having gone back to fourth edition, I I just feel like for, in this case, it's not like with uh, Pathfinder where Pathfinder to me is still, it is an effort to try and be everything that third and 3.5 is, but then add more you know, there's more um, to just smooth over some of the rough bits of it. And many of the versions of fourth edition d d that I've seen, they're, it, it, there's definitely inspiration in there, but it is not the same thing. You know, in the same way, like with um, Pathfinder, I can use almost anything from 3rd uh, or 3.5, uh, the, those versions of the game, and just use them almost directly in, uh, in a Pathfinder game. Uh, I can't do the same thing with the spin-off games from 4th edition. There hasn't been a f- at least I'm not aware of a fourth edition game where it genuinely tried to replicate what fourth edition was. Uh, so for that reason, uh, because it's not uh, as much as I, I enjoy many of those, um, at least the uh, game whose name I can't remember and the uh, and 13th age, I, I think both of those are very, very cool games. Um, if I want to get a fourth edition experience, I'll run fourth edition. You know, um, I don't, and I don't think I've enjoyed thirteenth age when I've run it. Uh, but for whatever reason, I just have not got it back to the table. It just hasn't uh, hasn't made its way there uh, for several years now. Actually, now that I think of it. Um. So anyway, I, just, I thought I'd mention the uh, um, the editions that uh, I I did not mention. I think they are. Um, I think there are the ways that I enjoy those editions, first edition, Back Me, BX, um, and 3, 3 3.5, is through the iterations that we get from them. So it would be the, or the, you know, the more, I guess, later in the life cycle versions I would prefer. I don't dislike any of those uh, versions of D&D by any means. It's just, it's not none none of those are the the preferred versions that I would want to run you know um so anyway those are the leftovers I think they're still great games I'd still play them I just would not want to run um any of those for for those reasons all right so that tepid uh, endorsement of older uh, or other versions of D&D let's talk more about uh some of the other games that uh uh, I ran this year that I have been really itching to get back to the table. Um, one is um, actually our Talsorians, uh, The Witcher uh, RPG. I only ran a one shot of this, and I've, I've read quite a bit of it um, over the last I don't know. Uh, I think it was about three months ago, maybe that I I, uh, I ran the one shot. Oh, by which I mean we generated characters and then you know fought some bandits and fought uh, fought a werewolf, and it's a really cool game. Um, I uh, it's one of those games where I think that um, uh, it, it, it's got the uh, the rules are. Well, I guess like first off, the experience of the game uh, itself is um, is kind of it is tactical in the sense that you're, you've got lots of decisions to make uh, with your character and uh, how you're going to play your character at the at the table. It's a really interesting. Um, life path system for generating your your characters, so you get a complete backstory like you do with like Traveller or uh, Conan. And the combat system is is really really fun. Um, it's got uh, um, a mechanic. Basically, the the way that the game models uh, skill uh, means that you can. You can really you can take two different approaches to uh, taking down characters. If you are much more skilled than other characters, you can just try and uh, um, hit try and hit them like as normal, and try the the degree to which you beat their defenses is uh, the chance of critical hits, which give different like persisting injuries. Uh, and then uh, alternatively, what you can do is just try and hit them really hard and uh, trying to take down their their hit points. So. If, you, um, if you're not, you know, phenomenally more uh, skilled than what you're fighting, but you really just need to get the thing down and just take down its... its uh, I can't remember if it's called health. Uh, I think it's called health, but in any event, it's, it's just like hit points. Um, uh, the magic system is pretty flexible. Um, the setting is really cool because it's got uh, just, I mean, it's very, very low fantasy kind of gray morality. Um, it just, it all seemed very, very cool. Like all the, the two characters that we saw in play were, um, a, uh, witcher and a mage and both of them were, were just awesome. They were really, um, really, really neat to see. Uh, and the thing that I think, the thing that I, I think is interesting about it and that I'd like to, see, what makes me want to see more of it is, uh, partly the combat system, because it will be interesting to see how the, um the persisting nature of the injuries will uh uh you know will have an effect on play. They they seem like they would have, you know, they're injuries that are that are definitely going to be penalties, you know, to your character, but not I don't think they're going to be so um so overwhelmingly negative that it just means your character is effectively unplayable until they heal. It'll be that interesting kind of You know, walking wounded. You know, carrying their scars with them. That uh, Geralt of Rivia seems to have. With you know, um, in in the I have not read the books, but what I understand is that the you know it really plays up the fact that he the injuries that he suffers over the course of his long life just leave him um, in kind of a state of chronic pain, and the the game gives you ways of sort of capturing something similar. And because your characters are pretty competent to start with, then, um, you know, it means that um, those penalties that you get don't make your character unplayable. It just means that it's an interesting challenge to deal with as either you're healing or, you know, you, uh, or whatever, as a a memento of that, uh, you know, these fights that you get into. Um, And there's also an element of uh, crafting to it, to the game, that I think is quite cool or at least it seems like it could be. Um, it might be tedious, uh, I, I don't know, but I think that if you were into the idea of like playing a character who is a crafter, whether it's like, you know, an armorsmith or a um, alchemist or something like that, there's definitely neat ways to, um, uh, oh, even a witcher, you know, making their uh, elixirs or whatever they're called. Um, I think there's, there's definitely a cool component there. And the idea of like, cultivating or, or harvesting certain things uh from fallen foes from from monsters that you uh you defeat that's pretty cool too so and then wrapped up in a you know dark um you know intrigue heavy setting with uh, a really cool investigative component that that to me would make for a really really good campaign makes you know it's got some good action uh some good intrigue some good investigative stuff plus some terrific role playing and i think you can really uh with the life path system, you end up with a really interesting and, and, uh, very diverse character, uh, from the get go. So the DM also has lots of interesting ideas they can draw from to create the story. So that, that's something I definitely want to see again, um, in, uh, in 2021, hopefully. Um, I also want to, um, return to Vason. Vason was a, uh, a free, uh, so free league or free legon game that we ran. It's a, nordic horror uh rpg and it is one of the most beautiful games i've ever read uh, in terms of the art uh, inside and i really really enjoyed the one session we ran of it we sort of just you know we found ourselves down and i can't remember actually i don't think we were down a huge amount of players but for whatever reason we just decided to do a pickup game one night on a friday and we just played this you know characters uh the guys created characters for it and then we uh we played i think we might have been in the like at a pretty challenging fight scene or something like that in our 2 e ADD 2 e game we did that as a pickup and it's just it's very very interesting like there's um, there's a neat shared mechanic in terms of the uh you know the the castle that uh, serves as a home base for your operations it's a interesting like familiar but unique setting uh in the sense that it's in 19th century uh, nor, like not Norway, uh, Scandinavia. So there's, uh, Norway, Sweden, uh, Finland, uh, and I can't remember Denmark, uh, are the, um, the different countries that it's set in. And then your characters are, it, it's, it's similar to the Witcher. There's a monster hunting element to it, but it's not, the vason are not necessarily monsters, you know, like they're, each of them is constructed in, in an interesting way, so there is a good story you know, behind each of them, or a good mystery, at least, behind each of them. So uh, I think the game definitely um, would, would be a lot of fun. And we saw some really, really solid role-playing from everyone, too, in, in the course of that uh, session. So it was a really, really great game. Um, I, I enjoyed that thoroughly and would uh, definitely like to, to get back to that. Um, what else? Uh, Trudvang Chronicles. Uh, my buddy Arlen ran that for me, um, a little, I don't know, uh, f- again, like three or four months ago. I think it's a uh, Trudevan Chronicles. If you're not familiar with it is a, uh, I think a Swedish uh, company that, uh, makes the game. It is a very, um, like Celtic and Norse inf- uh, influenced, uh, setting, uh, with a f- pretty crunchy, or at least a tailed uh, character creation and combat system, uh, very unique. It is a system that is very much geared to the specific type of setting and adventures you're going to get in with that uh, with that game. And um, it is just, it has some of the most beautiful art as well too. It's uh, Paul Bonner is one of the uh, cover, or is I think the cover artist, and there are other artists whose name I don't recall right now who do the interior art, but Just a really unique looking game. Um, and having read a couple of the adventures now, or at least the summaries of what's what's in them from the beginning of them and flipped through them, there's some really, really good adventures as well. And it feels much more like a fairy tale or an epic. Um, like the way that they try to structure the actual gameplay. It which is in contrast to the actual mechanics, which are very tactical. Like the um, the way that their combat system works, uh, it sounds very complicated and will require uh, attention at the table, um, because like you get a certain number. Imagine you get a like a pot, and within that pot there is going to be a bunch of different colored uh, marbles, and then each one of those marbles counts as one point in your skill. You can at any given time take from that pot or any given round. Take from that pot. The different uh, marbles out, and then use those to calculate uh, what your difficulty of your action is going to be. Um, the color of the marbles will tell you what you can do with them. Some may be general combat and can be used for anything. Some may be defensive. Some may be only in relation to certain weaponry or some, you know, certain hands. So um, that's the way the skills work in that. Uh, in or at least the combat skills, is you end up with a slate of different um, points. Or different skills that give you points that you can use, and um, if you're doing multiple attacks, you have to spread out those uh, points, you know, across different things. And I, I'm uh, if I'm n- not making it clear how this, like, at the end of each uh, round, you would be emptying your bowl out, right? Like, if you, uh, you, the ideal approach would be that you're using every available marble that you can to get those numbers up as high as you can. But uh, you and you also have to save some for defenses as well, too. But it's, um, it just, I, I don't think it was, it's terribly complicated, uh, or at least it's not insurmountable. It just requires, once the players learn how the system works, I think it would work very well. Magic is very, very, very thematic in it, and um, it's just a really, another one of those games that I want to see in motion. You know, like uh, damage to weaponry and armor is a thing you need to keep track of, um, and the, uh, there's a really neat thing where, like, big creatures... Can uh, they move much slower than other things? So th- you know, like a a big troll, you know, a troll that's three times the size of a human, that thing may only attack once every two rounds, uh, whereas a dragon might only attack once every three rounds. But when they do attack, or they may have like say, you know, three attacks that they have to spread out over three rounds, and they may do like one in one round, and one in another, and whatever. Um, I just think that's going to make for a really interesting variety of, um, you know, a, a, a different flavor to combat than what we see in many other games. Uh, kind of similar to what you see, honestly, in uh, in Champions or Hero System, where you see, you know, different characters spread out over the 12 phases uh, or segments that make up a round. Uh, players will act on different phases. Uh, so that's, it's kind of cool. And I, I think, like, you can see how a character might, like, on one round, if they're they're facing some big, scary thing, they may, you know, wait for the dragon to make its attack, and then, you know, or make one or two attacks, defend against those for that one round, jumping out of the way, and then as the thing's recovering, its giant, you know, claw coming up again to get positioned, you could take advantage of how slow it is, jump in, and dump everything into some really big hits, trying to get through this thing's hide, like, really cool i am i uh i'm definitely excited to see it in uh, in play and i the um pre-made adventures that i've i've read thus far like i said they're oh that's anna saying hi to everybody uh they just seem very very yeah very cool very interesting um and very much of that uh, of that setting too um it, it's a the one downside to it is that the stuff comes out quite slowly so you it's a very unique setting but you don't have a huge amount of information about the actual setting so uh, i that's not a deal breaker for me by any means because I can make shit up but it's um, it's just a really yeah, it's a really really interesting game I enjoyed playing my character uh, that I played in it um, and I, uh, I I definitely like the um, the world uh, it's got some very there's one in particular uh, um, epic one shot or um, uh, adventure that follows on from the first adventure that came out for it. Uh, the, the, the epic is called Snow Saga, and it's really, really cool. Like, uh, you know, dips into the... I get, oh, that's one other thing I really like about it, is that history, the history of the setting is not known to the players. It is not one of those things that is widely known. Uh, they, they just, um, you know, it, it is like, you know, the Dark Ages, there's histories... Uh, There's a hint at what may have come before, but it's not really clear and certainly not uh, widely known. So when characters are discovering elements from the past, it really does feel, um, you know, the the players themselves, the characters or the players are feeling as uncertain of what this represents, as what the players are. And, you know, I've mentioned on the podcast before how much I enjoy the, um, I, I feel that the, um, maintaining an element of the unknown in a, uh, in an, in a, in a lot of fantasy role-playing games is really part of capturing that, um, that fantastic otherworldly feel of that setting or, or the, of that type of, of setting, you know, like one, one, the, one of the reasons why I don't really care for Forgotten Realms all that much is because everything's known about it. There's so much canon about it that any anybody can look it up. Whereas like, Greyhawk, it, there's there's a lot of stuff that's out there for it, but not nearly as much. And so much of it is easy to uh, to paint as uh, as unknown. So there's tons of um, history and I don't know like pedigree behind the world that the players get to learn and and discover at the same time as their characters. And that element of exploration and learning about the world in play, I feel is part of the, like that's really what the exploration, when they talk in the fifth edition about the exploration role-playing and and combat as being three tiers, that's, I think what they mean by the exploration is not like go to some new place and see it in the game of like uncovering the the real history that you didn't know before. And, And I don't mean it in that like, you know, postmodern cornball way of, like, just reinventing, you know, uh, like, oh, now we learn a new secret about, like, Professor X that we didn't know about, oh, this awful thing he did. It just feels, um, uh, I don't know, like, that that stuff just, it really, because it was so done to death in comics and in TV, it just feels like, ugh, it's so, it's such a boring trope. What I mean by that is just, like, learning, in the same way that when you, you learn an interesting tidbit, you know, like, um... I did not know that the reason, uh, that we have, you know, 12 months in the year and 60 seconds in, or 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in, a, in an hour is because of Sumerian 12, you know, base 12 numbering. And when I learned that I'm like, holy shit, like all these things that I, I knew uh, that, um, it, it doesn't change anything that I'm necessarily about my life, but I mean, it really, that, perspective on it i'm never going to look at or think about that in a different way it's so interesting to think that you know three thousand years on from uh the history maybe more than that uh that the that civilization continues to have a persisting impact on my everyday life in that small way you know and i think that that's one of the ways that um you can that that exploring a setting in a game, as a player as well as as a character, can be really in a fantasy game at least can be really really uh, rewarding and, and maintain that 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 fantastical element of that setting. And Trudvang does a wonderful job of that because they just don't give you an awful lot about the history. They say that's just unknown, you know. And that was part of the charm of the original Dark Sun box set as well too. Is there's so much unknown in that that the the it, it felt intriguing and it felt, um, you know, uh, it felt fantastical and, and because, you know, in our modern world, we can sort of find the answers to most things we can find the, the, uh, you know, the history behind certain things and, and that sort of unknown what's beyond the ringing mountains. I have no idea. No one knows, you know, that is, um, I think that's really, really cool. And that's something that I, um, I definitely love about, um, I think it's a, a, for me personally is is an important part of making for a really satisfying and fun fantasy like old school medieval fantasy setting is that element of the of discovery you know and uh, and the presence of the unknown the here be dragons you know kind of uh part of the uh, of the world the limited scope of the um of that uh, you know a world lit only by fire right so in any event, that's something I, I another one I, uh, I greatly enjoy. DC Heroes, I definitely want to play more of that. I'm telling them, I'm telling them. Anna really wants me to whoa, let you know that she really enjoyed our uh, Suicide Squad one-shot that we, uh, we played a little while ago. Um, I think that uh, the, I think that the game itself it definitely requires a, a specific... I've been thinking about it quite a bit more. I was really, really keen on it uh, immediately afterwards, and I think that it does definitely require the the right players, uh, you know, and the right mindset for it. Um, all right. Um, but the... I I, I think... Uh, I mean, I'm very for, I'm fortunate to play with um, character with players, as I said, who are of that mindset, and I think that... Uh, it would be a, a really, really fun way to, to run a uh, superhero-based uh, game. Not, not necessarily an ongoing thing, but a, a mini, you know, either a long adventure or a mini campaign uh, that uh, just happens to, that allows the players to take advantage of this interesting subplot mechanic they have in the game. So I, I just need to focus on, you know, what the, the bigger overall plot is, what the um, what the story is going to be for the, for the group or the team, uh, but then each of them gets to introduce these interesting subplots that I get to incorporate into the game. Something similar to what what I enjoyed about the Cult Divinity Lost game when I ran that. Uh, that also puts a lot of interesting uh, agency in the hands of the um, of the players, and um, that one also was very. You know, you know what I find interesting about that and DC Adventures is is very similar to what I what I like about AD&D Second is that there is an element of me discovering what's happening as well, because the players have, uh, you know, their hands on the rudder as well, too. They get to add elements to the, uh, setting the story that will, um, you know, that I, that I'm surprised by, or that will help me. I don't know. Like it'll affect the overall, uh, thrust of the campaign that I'm thinking of, um, because of the interesting things they're adding to it. You know, I, I always love, I I don't see it as a wrench thrown in, um, you know, uh, the, the gears as it were, I see it as, you know, what's that a better analogy and another spice, you know, or another, uh, flavor being added to the chili. That is an awful expression. What a terrible analogy. (laughs) But in any event, I I take it that you, uh, you folks understand what I mean that it just, it, um, not only is it a fun superhero kind of, if superhero game, um, and it, it scales very well from, you know, Robin, the boy wonder up until, you know, Kryptonians duking it out with, um, you know, Darkseid or with, um, I don't know, um, who's another things or like a, a Daxamite, uh, army. Uh, I think that it also has some very cool, uh, player focused, or get lots of different ways for players to be, um, to participate in the, uh, in the actual, you know, creation, the, the hero points, creation, of the story, the hero points, uh, that, you you or the way you use it in those games to modify dice rolls and things like that uh, and the way you earn hero points by you know saving people by defeating enemies by achieving subplots and things like that that stuff all um it, it gives you an interesting currency for for mitigating against the vagaries of dice rolls while also giving you incentive to challenge your, your hero and to take action in the game, both in terms of the overall plot and your subplots. So it's a, yeah, I think that that's another game that would be very, very fun to, to run um, and to see in, uh, you know, in action and see what the players do with it. And that's something I, I you know, what I just enjoy, or one of the things I have enjoyed so much about our ADD 2nd game is as as things have been introduced, like magic items and things like that, it's been so interesting to see what the players do with them, you know, and the opportunities that present themselves or the challenges or the enemies, seeing how they respond to those and what they prioritize and how they choose to approach the things. It's, that's awesome. And it's thoroughly enjoyable for me as a DM. And that's what I think that DC adventures and what I got from Vasen as well, too, like those. And I mean, to be honest, what I would, I'm hopeful for from the Witcher is, um, you know, seeing what, uh, what the players do with that stuff. It's just, it's very, very cool. Um, another on my nightstand right now is uh on third edi- edition I mentioned before how I, um, uh, I like I, I've run Shadowrun on fifth, uh, before, and I, I really, really like the, the dice mechanic in that, but I find that there's just a little, it is, um, it's a little too overwritten for, for me. There's too much rules. I'd like things a little bit simpler um, and, uh, Shadowrun 3rd does that for me. Also, uh, Shadowrun 3rd has a little bit more baked in, uh, flavor difference between the different, um, magical uh, traditions. And I, I like, I kind of prefer that to the, you know, um, that you can kind of get from, uh, mages in, um, 5th edition. And, uh, I, I know that there are ways to specialize, like, by taking certain edges and whatnot. Uh, but I just kind of i i shadow and third was the edition that i you know like ran the most and I, that i collected as like a maniac um it was the first game that i really really uh just obsessively got everything for and uh, i i really I, I like uh everything about the you know i wouldn't run i don't know i mean like there's there certain things like small dice pools are, are a problem in um in shadow and third because it's just it's, it's a very difficult to be kind of good at something you're either really good at something or kind of shitty or at least it's a real iffy thing but i'm gonna be in making use of the karma rules start the players off with a a fair amount more karma than what a normal starting character would get and that way um and karma in in shadowrun is used to it's two different things it's spendable karma and then also karma you use to advance the character i I don't know why they chose to oh maybe it's because you can mm, it's because you can spend it or save it? No, that's not true. Uh, they really should have used like experience points and, and karma. But in any event, the kind the karma I'm talking about is the narrative meta currency, and there's a, a, a fair amount of flexibility as to how you can use it. So that's cool, and uh, I'd I definitely like to see. Uh, well, I want to see what the how the players uh, handle a game like that. Like back in the day, Shadow and Third felt pretty. Complex to me and f- pretty crunchy. Now, in comparison to some of the games I've run, it feels downright quaint and certainly in the, in the manageable range of uh, of crunch that we uh, we deal with. And I love uh, Shadow and Third has my absolute favorite like metaphysical setup for magic of any game I've I've run. I just I love the way. Um, you summon creatures and the way that different spirits function in that and I love how magic is the idea, the, the the inherent kind of risk-reward of trying to cast something more powerful and taking extra damage as a result uh, or, you know, perhaps knocking yourself out. Um, I know that the edition um, is rife for abuse because, but I mean, that's true of pretty much every edition of Shadowrun. If you go on forums you can find, you know, the builds that people have made to break the game but, I just, um, I ignore that. Um, and I've got an adventure I'm planning on running that takes out two of the things that I find a bit of a pain in the ass in the game, and those are dig, uh, rigging and decking. Uh, rigging and decking, and I know I'm taking the cyber out of the punk, so uh, that really, you know, for some, that may be just uh, heresy to run a Shadowrun without a decker, but I don't, those rules are, are just a bit of a pain in the butt, and uh, I um, I just don't want to deal with them uh, especially for a new group of players, and uh, rigging, um, rigging is not as bad as decking in the sense because I feel like riggers can still take advantage. If you're not familiar with this stuff, deckers are just bait hackers, and uh, riggers are uh, characters with cybernetic implants that allow them to have um, like mental control over vehicles. They can throw their consciousness into different vehicles like drones or other things. And uh, in this particular adventure, the riggers just don't really have a big role. Uh, so for the pre-gens I want to throw together for this, the players will just, there there isn't going to be a deck or there isn't going to be a rigor, but it allows me to show off a bunch of the other cool stuff, like cybernetically enhanced characters and like, you know, skill monkey characters and, uh, different kinds of, uh, mages like the, uh, shamanic tradition, the, uh, uh, hermetic tradition, the differences in the types of spirits where the shamans are more improvised. They can summon things on the fly, but they're limited by their domain, and then their uh, the the specific totem that they follow, um, that um, you know, that will have an effect on what they can summon and how uh, easy or difficult it is. I'm going to use uh, adepts as well, too, physical adepts to um, to show how they focus their magic through their bodies, and you can make interesting characters that way. Um, and uh, the hermetic with the the idea of um, summoning elementals, which are kind of like very much slower. And then what you can do is you can. Draw on them for specific services, but the variety of things you can get an elemental to do are much bigger and more diverse than what you can get spirits to do. Spirits, the nature spirits that uh, they summon, that the shamans summon, are much more limited. But um, yeah, and and, and uh, I I really 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 like the contacts system in uh, Shadowrun, all versions of Shadowrun, to be honest. But I like. Uh, and I think that the fifth edition version is actually a little bit better than the third, but I um, I still really like the third, and I'm it's going to be fun to try and experiment with um, the uh, structure of the uh, story. This particular story, I think, will it's going to have some action, some mystery, but also some good opportunities for the players to take advantage of flashbacks to get more information through contacts. So um, I don't I don't think that it would be uh, that would be a game I'd run on an ongoing basis necessarily. Um, if for no other reason, because it's just, it's now three editions old and I just don't know how much interest there would be for the, by the, my uh, players to play an ongoing, you know, kind of Shadowrun, uh, game, especially one that's based on like the 99 edition of, uh, Shadowrun. But for me, um, it's my favorite version. It's just, it, when I think of Shadowrun, uh, in terms of setting and, and, um, you know, uh, the magical sensibilities and stuff like that. And art, you know, uh, Paul Bonner, same guy who does the cover for, uh, the, uh, Trude Van Chronicles game. He did the cover of third edition, uh, Shadowrun and, and many of the, of my favorite supplements for it as well too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm that I'm, I'm also very excited to, to get to the table. And that one is more just like sharing one of my favorite old games with uh, with my friends, you know. Like uh, the players that I've been fortunate to play with for the last couple of years are, are people I didn't grow up with. And the people I grew up with, I've, I've inflicted the same adventure on them a number of times. Uh, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm definitely um, interested in uh, or looking forward to, to sharing that one with, uh, with that. And also with everyone, you know, who's viewers on, on the channel as well too. It's been fun bringing some old um, favorites back and trying to present them in the in the best light. Shadowrun 3, I don't think it's one of those editions that really gets a lot of uh, attention necessarily. Like it's not, you know, I don't think there's a necessarily a huge fan base for it or, or anything like that, but it's a, I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be a fun, um, it'll be a fun one to get back. And uh, I was uh, talking to my son today about uh, Shadowrun because he's playing the Cyberpunk 2077 role or video game quite a bit, and he's really enjoying that. In particular, the the wacko characters that you meet over the course of the thing. And I was describing how I thought, like I've always seen cyberpunk stuff as, you uh, know, Shadowrun, the cyberpunk role playing game, and uh, the, um, what do you call it? Um, like uh, NeuroMancer. They're just they're very much like you know like pulp stuff where they're just filled with these incredibly unique and interesting and quirky characters, almost like a, uh, you know, a, an eighties version, uh, you know, eighties sci-fi version of a Guy Ritchie film where they're just like, um, I mean like his gangster films where they're just full of these chatty, really memorable, unique characters like in snatch or, you know, lock stock and two smoking barrels, or, uh, most recently the gentleman where it's just this you know the in the same way that like a really memorable npc in in d d can be uh, a really interesting part of your uh you know of, of the game shadowrun i think does an even better job of that because you every character has a list of contacts they can draw on and every one of those can be really memorable characters um in addition to whatever they encounter over the course of the campaign so you can make the game feel uh like a it's got a high population Um and memorable uh, characters without, you know, um, without having to do an awful lot of work because the game prompts you uh, with just how, by virtue of how the characters, what the characters have access to and how they go about doing their shadow running, you know, it just it it uh, it makes for a really fun and interesting and memorable world as much as what any uh, fantasy world would be, and I don't even mean you know relying on things like metahuman types or, um, you know, weird uh, cybernetics or things like that. I mean, just the the uh, Shadowrun world, very much like any other cyberpunk thing, is just this weird conglomeration of, uh, you know, mo- mashups of modern-day tropes and things like that, you can, weird gangs or strange cults or, you know, corporate uh, cultures that are very unusual. It, it just, lots of, or, you know, fans of certain um, VR... Um, you know, stars or things like that. So weird subcultures or fan cultures. And then all that shit gets mixed together in, in with all the the mix and blend of different, um, you know, um, ethnicities and cultures and stuff to make up really weird, you know, Blade Runner-esque kind of um, cultural jumbles. Uh, so you, could, you got all those ideas to draw on for these characters to make for a truly you know, kaleidoscopic kind of, um, uh, cast of, of just weirdos that become very, very memorable just because of, anyway, I, I'm going to keep rambling about this, uh, but it's, it's another game I'm very excited to, to get back to the table. It's been a long time since I've run Shadow on Third, probably 10 years at least, uh, maybe even longer, but, um, but yeah, um, and I'm looking to see what others, I think, um, I uh, I don't have a, a specific plan for it, but I have so much from Cold Press for their Midgard setting for fifth edition that I feel like I really need to get that to the table. But fifth edition is one of those uh, games where I also have a, in addition to struggling with uh, how I'm going to run uh, leveling and what like how I what kind of game I'd actually want to run with it. I also uh, there's just oof, analysis paralysis of so many good options. You know, uh, there. Um, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords is a terrific adventure for that, but so is the new Theros setting for uh, um, from um, Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Guild, you know, the, uh, what is it, um, Ravnica, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica is an amazing book with so many great ideas, but I also really love the idea of running a 5th edition World of Warcraft game. Um, Rhyme the Frostmaiden is an amazing adventure with great, like, uh, the survival and horror elements uh, of the adventure really hit my sensibilities. Um, I'm kind of scratching that itch with my uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard game, so I probably wouldn't use it for that, but that's just another, you know, great example. And, um, you know, I haven't run any of the other ones. The last 5th uh, edition Mega Adventure I ran was um, the uh, uh, Tyranny of Dragons, so I haven't touched any of the other newer ones yet. Those are all pretty cool, but... Um, Grim Hollow, a, a kickstarted, uh, product that came out last or last couple of months. Um, it's a, you know, mashup of, uh, gothic horror, uh, with, um, uh, D&D fifth. It's a really cool looking setting as well. Uh, and then there's the Cobalt Press stuff, like just all of that stuff, the deep magic, the Midgard setting, the, uh, uh, what is it? Empire of the Ghouls, the Tales of the Old Margrave. I've got a ton of books for it. And they're all really, really neat that with that one, I can put more of a finger on what I'm, I'm the challenge is, is just, it is such a huge setting. I feel intimidated, uh, with where I start with it. Like I, I just, I want to, I would prefer, I would really like to just, uh, have an adventure. I can just get to the table and then start introducing elements of it without having to try and wrestle with a 350 page book. And I'm sure I know there are adventures that are like that. And I've, I have some, some of them. It's just, that's been my excuse for why I haven't got that to the table yet, but that seems really, really interesting as well. And then the money cook stuff that came out for, um, uh, Numenera for running like a science fantasy post-apocalyptic kind of thing. Um, there's three books out for it so far. The fourth one is coming soon. I can't remember. I I may actually have to check my Kickstarter rewards because I think that one is ready to be ordered. But, uh, That stuff is really interesting as well, too, and I I, I think I could have a a lot of fun with a um, Thunder the Barbarian-style kind of, you know, um, uh, approach to running a a 5th edition uh, Numenera-type game. Um, But, um, yeah, so just lots and lots of options for 5th edition, but I just, I don't even know where to start. Um, I think that what I might be interested in doing with that is uh, doing a War Story-style game um using fifth edition with our night below characters uh and seeing you know what um fifth a fifth edition uh adventure you know what what the differences would be at at the table in the same way that i i only really recognized the differences with between pathfinder 2 and and um like what how fourth edition offered different uh a different experience and different um yeah, it was just a very different game from PF2, and it offered things that PF2 just doesn't. Uh, I And I only recognize that by running 4th edition again. I, I kind of want to see what happens when I run 5th edition and see how that changes the experience, you know? So, anyway, so that's a bunch of other games that I'm excited about right now. Uh, there are other things, I'm sure, like Starfinder, I, I think is really great as well, too, and I love the Adventure Paths for that. And, but as, there's only so many darn... Oh, the last one is uh, Star Wars... Saga edition, the uh, oh, and, and Pendragon as well. too I've got some new books coming for Pendragon because I uh, I want to uh, in uh, oh, maybe you, know, maybe you know what? Let me um, save this for 2021 ideas. I'll, I'll add uh, one more section in here talking about kind of what I got in mind for some um, for 2021. So let's let's deal with that in a sec. So, what I was going to say last uh, segment was that for 2021, I've got a couple of things that are um. In the works here, uh, including I'm gonna uh, start trying to run uh, Pendragon, uh, the uh, King Arthur uh, game uh, published by I mean, by to be honest, by a bunch of different publishers, but uh, Chaosim at present. And uh, it is one of my players, uh, Arlen. Uh, actually, one of my buddies, Arlen. Uh, he is uh, is just a fanatic for this game. It's it's pr- uh, I'm not sure if it's his favorite game, but it's definitely up there uh, with his favorites. And um, I just I, uh, I I've played it once uh, with him running it. With us playing uh, like Vikings in um, in uh, using this supplement called um, uh, Land of Giants that uh, kind of reskins or reworks it for that, and uh, it's another one of those games that like I feel like over the course of play it will uh, it will change. It will you'll see some um, you'll see the the you know there are elements of change and whatnot that will come from the subsystems in the game that we would not anticipate. So it just again it makes for a really interesting um, experience where the the there is unexpected stuff unfolding uh, for for me as the DM in addition to what the players are going through. So I kind of I, I like that quite a bit, and I think that there's a, um, a distinctly dark fantasy take on the game that I can uh, embrace that I think will play to my sensibilities, um, and the. To be honest, like some of the supplements for it are just uh, mind-blowing, you know. And the, the possibilities, in particular, of the uh, Great Pendragon uh, campaign—it's one of those legendary uh, things, like um, uh, the masks of uh, nayar or the um, gosh, uh, or the ruins of Undermountain, or I don't know, like any other—you know, massively long epic campaign. It's just one of those games, you know, one of those campaigns. And it is, having read a fair amount of it, I haven't run it yet, so we'll, we'll see how it, uh, you know, works when rubber meets the road. But having read it, I understand why it lives up to its reputation. You know, what, or why it has that reputation that it does is just, it is phenomenal. Uh, so much great thought has been put into the, what the overall, like how the game is going to play out over time, how the campaign will... Um, Will develop by and take advantage of the fact that you're, you know, you're playing characters who will age and have a family and may die and may be replaced and whatnot. It's just really, really great. Um, So that one is going to be coming in 2021 because I, you know, one one of the things I want to try and transition. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it just yet, but we're changing the way that we're doing um, charity games on the uh, on the channel as well. Too in the past for the past three years, I've been offering. A uh, number of charity slots, and just you know, when people make a certain amount of donation, then we—I'll uh, run a session for them. I'm going to change. I'll try something different for this coming year um, because I want to. For, I mean, for a couple of reasons, uh, the way that things have. Well, I'm not going to talk about it yet. I'll, once I've got my plans finalized for that, I'll—I'll I'll talk about it. But that is going to be changing, and one of the things I want to be able to do is to give, uh, in particular, for the uh, wonderful you know, people who uh, choose to spend their time at my gaming table, I want to be able to say thank you to them uh, in more ways by running more of their favorites as well, too. You know, the uh, um, Star Wars Saga edition, and I don't know if Saga is George's favorite, but I know George loves Star Wars games, you know, and um, uh, going to it, you know, for nothing, George was one of the developers and editors on the Star Wars um, game from uh, West End Games as well, too. So he uh, definitely has his... Uh, uh, pet- I mean, it's not uh, just any, you know, Star Wars gamer who has an entry on Wikipedia. <laughs> so I want to uh, to run more of that as well, too, um, because it, it, partly because it was, it was a really, really fun game, and also uh, because it's a way of kind of um, saying thank you to those uh, players. And I also want to have more opportunities to try and uh, to guilt-free you know, run more variety of, of games as, as well, too. I, I really enjoy prepping and, and running uh, one-shot one sessions for different thematic reasons, and I'm looking forward to doing that. One of those, actually one of the first ones that's going to be coming up, is an Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd edition, one um, set in Ravenloft, making use of the new uh, Beetle & Grimm uh, legendary edition of the Curse of Strahd. Uh, Curse of Strahd was an adventure that came out for Uh, 5th edition and to be honest I'm not crazy about the actual adventure itself or at least the first bit of it but I think if I approached it in the same way that I have been with Rhyme and the Frostmaiden and just take the stuff rework it incorporate some uh, stuff from other editions or stuff that I've come up with and make for uh, the game that I want to run then it is absolutely there and um, what we're going to be doing is using the uh, one of the uh, new adventures uh that uh was included in the legendary edition box set and use that as the f- framework for uh running a one-shot and i'm going to use second edition uh because i i really like it and i want to see i haven't used second edition to run one shots uh really yet and i want to see if just the system itself how that stands on its own for for a one-shot uh, i've done that with uh Ash, before with Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, and it's been a great-I mean, they've been great. Just gives a different feel to, at the table for using that kind of edition as opposed to a fifth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, so we're gonna do that rather than the fifth edition that the game is written for. Uh, what else? Oh, and Savage Worlds. I don't know what I'm gonna do with Savage Worlds yet, but. Savage Worlds is one of those game systems, I've mentioned them before, where I just, I, I, every time I, I run it, I keep thinking, why the hell do I not run this more often? It's, it's a great system, tons of fun. It suits the sort of fast and loose style of, of DMing that I, I really love. It has lots of fun ways to add random or unexpected elements to the game. Uh, so I want to definitely um, run that. I don't know what, though. There's so many interesting settings for it. And so many different approaches. Um, And uh, Champions. I want to get Champions back to the table again because uh, I know... And Conan. Conan 2D20. uh, Both of those games have uh, pretty solid... um, I mean, they're games that I really enjoy. uh, And I think the players really enjoy. And there's definitely a a subset of our audience on the channel that, that enjoy those two games. So it'll be cool to get those back. Um... The, uh, what was the other one I was going to say? The, um, oh, I don't remember now. (laughs) I don't remember now. Savage Worlds that, oh, GURPS, 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 GURPS. uh, I have been wanting to run GURPS again for about a year now. I just have not really come up with the excuse. I I had a thought of running a war story using GURPS for our Night Below campaign to give a a different take on the kind of, um, you know, Gritty, um, you know, sword stroke by sword stroke type of combat that you get in um, in GURPS. Uh, I wouldn't run that as an ongoing game; it's just a definitely just a one shot. Uh, but want to do that and Warhammer Fourth. Uh, we started running Warhammer Fourth, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Fourth Edition right after it came out, and then that campaign kind of fell apart. Uh, but I I really would like to give it a try again. I've heard very good things. Um, I've had heard very good things from players who have run it on a uh, a longer term basis, and uh, I think the setting is pretty cool. And there's a new uh, supplement coming out for it that is about um, I think it's Middenheim or uh, Midheim. For those who are in you know thoroughly inculcated in uh, the setting, uh, forgive me for getting something wrong about it. But the uh, the it's more of a what do you call it like a uh, Viking influence or Nordic influenced thing, and that's just as a trope that I, <laughs> I love. And uh, I think that setting might appeal to me a little bit more than just the default kind of gritty you know European uh, setting. I don't dislike the default um, uh, old world setting, but I think that that one will probably get me more excited than, uh, than the other so. So that's, I mean, that's an awful lot of games uh, that are on the, you know, uh, that are on deck here. But I would much prefer to have too many games that I would like to be working on and getting to the table than to not have enough. Um, In particular, now that the, with this coming weekend, my last charity session will be over, my, uh, and I'll be starting vacation, to be honest, uh, quite soon. It will be great to have that time to just... To prep some of these games and get them ready to uh, to get to the table, um, I definitely foresee uh, some uh, Pathfinder as well. Pathfinder One uh, coming to the table uh, because uh, at least two of my uh, regular players just love that. So that's their you know their preferred edition of the game, so I want to pay that off. Um, we're going to see some, I think, some more fifth level uh, fifth edition uh, as well in the same vein of saying thank you to the players. Uh, and that's going to be probably a, a little higher level play than I have uh, uh, pl- run in the past. Uh, and I think the setting might be kind of interesting for that. Because um, I'm thinking of going back to Spelljammer again. Um, I like... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 good side... As I said in, in an earlier segment too, you know, it's... it's uh, were it's even without going outside of d d there's so many amazing you know games or versions of that particular game that style of d d type play and uh, each of them offers such an interesting different experience when you start going beyond that too and just, and thinking of all the other amazing games that are out there uh, what I want to do for 2021 and something I think we've done fairly well this year is to both maintain the momentum with the campaigns, because I, I really, really, really love what we've seen come, not only from the camaraderie and from the story and from the character development that we've seen over the course of these you know ongoing sandbox games like uh, Night Below and uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard. We've also had a ton of really good, really memorable one-shots. And I want to make sure that we do the same type of thing we have that core uh, of regular reliable ongoing games but also have some really fun variety uh for not only for the players uh, but also for the viewers as well too so you got that old favorite you can go back to but it, you're also gonna see a flavor of the week as well too to spice things up in your in your diet as it were and for myself it keeps me interested as well too right it keeps that, that's it's a much easier way to keep me um you know, uh keep my enthusiasm and my energy. This is uh not my day job. It is uh something I do for, for the love of uh of games and uh I'm playing them and that certainly plays that gives me the you know that added juice to uh to, to put that work in to keep the enthusiasm up to, to run the best game that I can for the players and the viewers and uh yeah and then to also to By doing that, also learn, you know, and, uh, find ways to, uh, new insight into games that I've run for years and find, um, different lessons I can draw from one game and apply to another. And yeah, I mean that, that only really comes from, uh, from getting it to the table. Right. So in any event, while 2020 has been in many ways, a, a dumpster fire, uh, of a year, you know, uh. And uh, for me personally, you know, I've been very fortunate that, uh, you know, that not seeing any uh, disruption in employment, uh, knock wood. Um, I haven't, uh, you know, uh, we haven't uh, seen any personal, you know, uh, uh, no one in my immediate family who has been affected by the, the ongoing crisis. Um, our games have all, you know, grown uh, over the course of the quarantine. We lost uh, one or two players, unfortunately. But, you know, we, uh, we also got a chance to see a lot more people at the table, uh, a lot more consistently. And, um, you know, with the uh, Night Below campaign, I now have, hands down, my longest running campaign I've ever run. You know, 87 or eighty whatever it is, 86, 87 sessions as of uh, uh, recording. And that's just crazy. You know, I've run year-long games before, but that's playing once every two weeks or you know, maybe once in a weekend or something like that. It's just not the, the level of uh, consistent play that I've seen over the past year. And, um, yeah, and the Discord uh, channel has, uh, I, I think it was this year that I set it up. I could be wrong about that, but it feels like it was fairly new. And it's just been great seeing people interact. Not only interacting with other people myself, but also seeing other people you know, get to playing games together or, and, and not just role-playing games, like people meeting up to play World of Warcraft together or talking about board games or, you know, um, setting up, you know, mutual uh, podcasts, you know, and, and doing interviews over for each other's podcasts. It's just, it's awesome. It's been a, while there's definitely, you know, been uh, significant challenges, we also raised more money for SOS Children's Villages International this year than we did ever before which is is crazy uh, in in the middle of a pandemic and an economic downturn you know so there's a lot of stuff to be thankful for in uh, for myself for 2020 um, and I am really looking forward to trying to push that you know carry on what we've done that's worked and push ourselves into you know new playing more games to you know trying new things and, and also to carrying on with a the stuff that's really been working. I need to record more podcasts more frequently as well, too, because with the uh, m- the loss of my commute, my productivity as far as my uh, podcasting has been concerned uh, over the past year has been just brutal. So I got to figure out a way to to capture the kind of you know uh, stream of consciousness style that I've adopted for this podcast as well, without having to rely on a on a commute to do that. So. In any event, uh, which brings me to, to, I guess, the the end of this. So let's make with the outro. Okay, so with that, let me uh, bring this uh, epic ramble to a conclusion. Uh, to those who are listening at home, thank you so much for, for joining me for uh, yet another uh, belated and sporadic episode of the Dungeon Musings podcast. Uh, in the coming year, I, I do hope to have a more regimented schedule for this and more structure and more topical, um, episodes as well too. Uh, it has been, um, because the sporadic nature of, of, uh, my recording of these, uh, the the last few months worth of, uh, episodes have certainly been a lot more, um, slice of life-ish and a lot more state of play, uh, than, uh, before, uh, if if this is what you if you're enjoying these and you, you want me to carry on as kind of an addendum to, you know what's going on on the YouTube channel, uh, let me know. Uh, I'm uh, I'm happy to carry on like this as well too, um, and also if you want to hear more uh, things like you know interviews or um, and uh, by interviews I mean like with my players or with you know um, the I mean anyone else. I got other friends in, in the gaming industry who uh i don't engage with nearly enough as uh, much as I should I know my me and uh or my buddy uh Jared rasher and i Jared of um uh what do I know about gaming uh and uh, gnome stew theme uh, we have a a date set in uh, over the holidays to get together and chat games again too because it's been way too long and i I've been on uh uh Hobbs's, jason Hobbs's podcast uh not recently but uh, relatively recently and my buddy uh Anthony, Runeslinger, uh, as well, too. Uh, he had me on uh, recently. Arlen had me on. I love chatting with other gaming people. So if that's what you'd be interested in, in seeing as well, too, let me uh, let me know, and I'll see if I can't uh, work out something more along those lines as well, too. That's probably easier to, to schedule. But again, like, if you enjoy, uh, I, I plan to do that. If you do, if you're happy, uh, hearing the, you know, drawing the, Lessons from the errors of my ways or the things that I that worked in, in my campaign, I'll carry on doing these as well too. and I can do these on a more I can schedule that on a more regimented basis as well. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, as is always the case, if you have any comments, questions, concerns regarding what we talked about in, uh, in this uh, episode, please do not hesitate to leave me a voice message on anchor. Uh, you can shoot me an email. my email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Dungeon Musings. And otherwise, if I don't talk to you beforehand, if you're listening to this contemporaneous to the recording, I hope this finds you healthy, safe, and weathering the current crisis as well as can be expected. I hope the lead-up to the holidays is treating you all well. I hope you're getting a chance to plan some games, if not play some games uh, leading up to and over the holidays. And until we see you again, happy gaming.